is Motley Fully Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert, fully vaccinated bro camp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. Hi, bro. How you doing? Vaccinated, and it feels so good. Yeah, I'm feeling good. How are you, Allison? <laughs> I can't believe you just did that. Well, David Gardner is back, you lucky ducks. Last week, we talked about David's six traits of a rule breaker stock. And this week, he'll cover his six habits of a rule breaker investor. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, what's up? Well, Allison, we often talk on the show about the power of delaying retirement, even by just a few years. And I've mentioned that I don't have any plans to retire early. I think the age that I generally have in mind is 67, which like all people born in 1960 or later is my full retirement age for Social Security. Of course, you could take it earlier, but then you have a smaller benefit for the rest of your life. So I kind of think of 67 as the earliest age I'd like to retire. And for me, that's 16 years from now. But then sometimes I come across items in the news that make me wonder if I should reconsider. And that happened last week when it was announced that David Swenson had passed away at the age of 67. Swenson was the manager of Yale's endowment and really the most influential endowment manager of our times. Over his 35 years of running Yale's investment office, he produced returns that outperformed the average endowment by 3.4% annually. Uh, And many of his former employees went on to manage other portfolios. So just consider that of the top 15 endowments based on performance over the past 10 years, Six are managed by people who once worked for Swenson. And just two days before he passed away from cancer, he taught the semester's last session of a class at Yale that he had been co-teaching for more than 20 years. And then when I heard of Swenson's passing, uh, I thought of Clay Christensen, who was the Harvard Business School professor and author of the classic book, The Innovator's Dilemma, who died in January of 2020 at the age of 67. And it was that same month that the world lost Neil Peart, the drummer and lyricist for Rush, my favorite band. And I know Rick, the producer, is also a big fan. Um, Peart, who's widely considered one of the greatest drummers of all time, also died of cancer at the age of 67. So it makes me think, maybe I shouldn't wait until I'm 67 to do some of the things I often think about doing in retirement. And apparently, I'm not alone. That's the message of a recent article in Bloomberg entitled, Affluent Americans Rush to Retire in New Life is Short Mindset. Uh, So here are some of the stats from the article. A November study from Pew Research Center found a surge in the number of baby boomers who have reported being retired compared to previous years, 1.2 million more than the historical annual average. The number of people expecting to work beyond age 67 fell to a record low of 32.9% last month, according to a New York Federal Reserve survey. And about 2.7 million workers age 55 and older plan to apply early for Social Security benefits, almost twice as many as the 1.4 million people in the same age group who anticipate working longer, according to a recent U.S. Census Bureau survey. So what are the consequences of all this? Well, first of all, you've probably heard that many businesses are struggling to find workers, and that could get worse if the most experienced workers stop working. In fact, last week, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell cited significant number of people saying they've retired as one reason companies are reporting labor shortages. And get this stat from the Bloomberg article. Almost a third of physicians are over the age of 60. And the nonprofit Physicians Foundation said in a November paper that burnout threatens to exacerbate an existing shortage, especially among scarce specialists. Yikes. Uh, The other concern I have when I hear about people retiring early is that studies show that many people retire with insufficient resources, 
they didn't retire because they, you know, did a thorough analysis and figured out they had enough money. They just felt like, oh, hey, I feel like retiring. Problem is that later on, they eventually start running out of money and they either have to cut back on their lifestyle, sometimes foregoing medical care, or they have to go back to work after being out of the workforce for several years. But there's no question that after several years of exceptional stock market returns and rising home prices, many Americans do have enough to retire sooner than expected. And if they've done that thorough analysis of their situation, including how to pay for medical care, especially if they're not yet 65 and eligible for Medicare, uh, then more power to them. And if things keep going over the next decade the way they've been over the past decade, maybe I'll join them. And that, Allison, is what's up. If you're a regular Answers listener, you've probably heard about Stock Advisor, the Motley Fool's flagship investment idea service. And you may have thought to yourself, I should check that out. Well, today is your lucky day because you can give Stock Advisor a try for 50% off the list price by visiting saoffer.fool.com. You'll gain unlimited access to all the past and current recommendations, as well as a virtual library of investment education. Plus, members will receive new stock picks each and every month. Is your interest peaked? Then go on over to saoffer.fool.com. That's letters S and A, followed by offer.fool.com. What you need... What you need, what you need is a change of habit. David Gardner is back, you lucky Answers listeners. What? Thank you for the re-invite. Well, we're, I, I mean, I'm glad you didn't make a liar out of me because I did tell our listeners that you would be here again this week. So, well, last week, David, you joined us to talk about your traits of a rule breaker stock. But this week, you're here to talk about six habits of a rule breaker investor. So we're going to talk more mindset, more how can you, once you have identified a rule breaker stock, how can you then control yourself, control your temperament, develop some habits to then see that really grow and do awesome things in your portfolio. Does that sound about right? It sounds great. You know, it's one thing to identify great stocks. And I truly do believe that those six traits, which I've been using for more than 20 years, right out front of the public, everybody looking over my homework each time I pick any of the stocks, the transparency that we have at The Motley Fool is one of our great strengths. But it's one thing to know a great stock. But if you're not going to play with it well, if you're not going to do it right, then it's not such a great idea for you. So some years later, I started thinking, we need to have a second list, six habits. These aren't about the stocks anymore. This is about you and doing it right. Well, you did talk about our transparency, which is uh, actually a great segue because I don't know, um, you probably would feel a little awkward bragging about your investing track record, but I don't. So I feel like I'm here to brag for you because uh, it ain't bragging if you're telling the truth. Am I right? And yes, The Motley Fool has been very upfront and transparent about our track record and how we've done. Um, and you've also been very humble about picking some losers on occasion uh, in the past. But for those of you who are listening, we believe in scoring ourselves, tracking the good and the bad. And when you look at, David, your track record, I believe in Stock Advisor we're talking here. Um, you have had, over roughly the last 20 years, you've delivered 20% annualized returns. And that's versus the S&Ps, about 9-ish percent. It's really, I mean, I, for new listeners, it's probably hard for them to understand just how remarkable that is. It's hard to beat the market. To beat the market by that much over 20 years is insane. So yeah, that's not like just cherry picking. That is over the last almost two decades, which is which is pretty remarkable. 
Well, I think that it's really important to point out all of the losers that I've picked over the course of that time. And part of winning is losing to win. I once did a podcast on Rule Breaker Investing with that very title. It's so important for me to convey that if you're going to break the rules as an investor, you have to be more like a venture capitalist. You have to treat the public markets like it's okay to lose. After all, classic venture capitalists, they lose all the time. They're finding early stage companies. Turns out most things fail. Uh, that's not true for most of our investments, but many of my picks have failed and we've delivered over 20% annualized returns. I also like to mention that it's done so simply. It's done by picking one stock a month on just the same Thursday each month over years and years. And it, that should be so simple for people to follow. And that's always been so important to me. So, uh, and there were lots of restrictions, right? I can't say no, nothing on that Thursday. I don't like the market right now. Or I can't find anything. Nope. We were never trying to time the market. It was time in the market. And it was just a regular, repeatable habit through good markets and bad with winners and losers that has led to that, I will say, spectacular outperformance. It's probably maybe the great achievement of my life beyond things that relate to my family. So it means a lot to me. And especially, it means a lot to me because it's replicable by anybody who's listening to us right now. We're not using supercomputers or special trading advantages that we have. We are just doing what anybody else is, is an armchair investor. Yeah, I should say also that you have a, a team with you on Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor um, who follows your sort of philosophy for investing. And together as a team, um, you have accomplished this really remarkable feat. And Anyone can do it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a reminder that you should have a team around you in life. I hope if you have a spouse or partner, Bro and Allison, you've talked about this some of Motley Fool Answers, the importance of having some alignment between you and your spouse or partner in terms of what's happening with your money. That transparency and awareness is a strength. It is a feature, not a bug for most couples. And certainly investment clubs and the online medium and Motley Fool discussion boards are a great example of this. It's great to have second and third inputs for your own sometimes siloed thinking. So yes, uh, what's the old line? If you want to walk fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, walk with others. I think teams are so important, and that's how we're organized at The Motley Fool. All right. Well, then let's get into it without further ado. The six habits of a rule breaker investor. Let's kick us off here. Sure. Habit number one. I call rule number one, let your winners run high. And if you're writing this out in text with punctuation, it's let your winners run, period, capital H, high, period. And that's because most people don't do this. How many of us look back and say, you know, I did have Apple. Uh, it was 2006, and I held it for like a year, and it did really well, and I sold. That is a sad, sad story when you picture what happened for Apple over the subsequent 15 years. And for most of the great rule breaker stocks, those are a lot of the stories I hear. People had them for a little while, they believed, but they ended up selling. So rule number one is let your winners run high. I love my winners. One of my favorite phrases from sports, I've kind of co-opted this on my podcast is, winners win. Bro, what do winners do? Well, they win. They win, exactly. And so let your winners win. Let them run high. 
Uh, this goes against, again, what most people do. Most people just sell something after it goes up a little bit, or if it goes down, they're hoping to just get back to even when they can sell. They're so focused on the short term, they're not seeing the ball here. And the ball, this is a really lame baseball analogy, the pitch coming in, you can hit. And the beauty of investing is when you hit a home run in baseball, you score one run. If there are runners on base, they score two. When you hit a home run in investing, you can keep circling the bases over and over, and you're making dollars. You're not just watching some professional athlete put a number up on a scorecard. You're making money, and it keeps going around the bases over and over again. Sometimes we've done this both in Rule Breakers and Stock Advisors, sometimes more than 100 times around the bases with a ka for you for every base that you touched. Rule number one, let your winners run high. All right, let's move on to your next habit of a rule breaker investor. Sure. Habit number two is add up, don't double down. One of my favorite phrases, this one is of my own conjuring, is dips, wait to buy on dips. It's amazing how many people think, you know, I won't buy that now, but I will buy the dip. Or do you think that stock will dip soon? And I say, don't do that dip. Don't be a person waiting for dips. Some of the great companies, again, not every company is a rule breaker. So we're talking about the subset of the market that I look at, that I'm invested in. We're looking at the stocked pond where I fish. These companies sometimes never dip. Or if they do, they still look overvalued. So people don't even buy them on the dip. But I really think in a world of dip hunters, I think you should just be an actor. When you add money, to your portfolio or to your investments, you should find the things that are winning and you should add up. Don't double down. Again, so many people think, well, that stock's down, so I'll buy some more of that one. Uh, and then if we get back to even, I'll actually be showing a profit at that point. And that's their mentality. And that can work. And some people do okay with that investing. But since you had me on this time, and we're talking about rule breaker habits for rule breaker investors, for these kinds of companies, you want to add to the winners, not the losers. You want, in the classic parlance, to be watering the flowers and cutting the weeds, not what most people do, in my experience, which is they cut the flowers and they water the weeds as they constantly rebalance away from what's winning. I do want to mention for each of these six habits, which we're going to cover a little bit more quickly this week, I have a mnemonic. The number is laced into each of these. So for this one, add up, don't double down. That word double reminds me of two. This is the second habit of the rule breaker investor. To backtrack briefly, rule number one, let your winners run high. I make it rule number one to make it trait number one. You're going to see those numbers if you watch carefully in each of the ones we continue to cover. Look for them. Look for those little Easter eggs, the mnemonic Easter egg here. Um, this one strikes me as, a, as, the, as one that really gets to that um, trait that we all kind of feel of trying to time the market. Where it's like, oh, if I just, if I like, oh, I'm just waiting for that, for that buy opportunity. Now's it, oh, I'm just waiting for, oh, I can, I can somehow play this and be smarter, smarter than the market on this. This one really gets me of that, that feeling that as investors, we all have to fight of trying to time the market. Well, and I think a lot of people also just think that if they have more money that they would add, they would add it to things that are down, not the things that are up. Um, and that can make sense in some contexts. This list of principles, what we're going over today, is not going to be universally true every time. 
context matters. But again, we're talking about rule breaker investing. We're talking about principles. And so the principle should always be that you are looking at what's working and adding money to that, not the things that are not working. All right, let's move on to our next habit. Ready for a mnemonic? Listen carefully. Habit number three for the rule breaker investor is invest for at least three years. And I would say three decades if possible, but for most people, have this idea that at a minimum, at a bare minimum, you are going to be invested in whatever you're buying right now or about to buy tomorrow for at least three years. We talked about last week where the word invest comes from. It comes from the Latin root investiri, which means to put on the clothes of, again, a reminder that as a sports fan, whether your team does well today's game that you're attending with your jersey on, or whether it has a good season or two or not, I hope it's still going to be your favorite team three years and more from now. Well, that is exactly the mental picture that you should have as an investor with your cash. I care a lot more about my portfolio than my favorite sports teams. I love sports, but boy, do I care more about financial freedom and independence that I'm working for, not just for my family, but for all of our members. I care a lot more about that. And so I'm playing the long game investing for at least three years. All right, let's move on to the fourth habit of a rule breaker investor. I can't wait to find out where the four comes in. Listen very carefully. I will. Habit number four of the rule breaker investor is to remember the four tenets of conscious capitalism. Now, for some of us, we already know what conscious capitalism is, and we know those four tenets. But for much of the world, it doesn't quite know what is meant by that phrase. Well, I'm on the board of the National Institute called the Conscious Capitalism Institute. I think you're both included in this movement, and it is a movement, and I think it's going global, and I think it's unstoppable. But it's a movement that believes that business is actually, when done well, a great force to elevate humanity. And the four tenets that drive conscious capitalism and business done well are these. Number one, companies that serve a higher purpose. Usually, you know what their purpose is. Maybe you know their tagline and or their mission, and they're driven by that. And while profits are important, these companies know that their purpose in serving that is ultimately what probably drives the most profits, just like people who search for happiness in their life and they never find it. Uh, whereas if they just served others, they would have been far happier. It's the same thing with profits. For businesses that are just after profit, they may not really find it very well. If you're after purpose, you may find profit in abundance. So remember the four tenets of conscious capitalism. Number one, higher purpose. Number two, stakeholder orientation. So we're talking about the companies that aren't just winning for one group, like let's say their employees or their management. Nope, they're trying to win for all their stakeholders. Their customers, certainly. Otherwise, why do we exist? Sure, their employees. These are the great companies to work for. But also, how about partners and suppliers? The allies that make your business possible, creating a win for them too. And oh, by the way, maybe the environment is relevant for a given stock that we're looking at. I hope it's trying to create a win for the environment or maybe the community, maybe local communities. Every business is different, but the ones that manage for the win, win, win across all of their stakeholder groups, those are the sustainable winners. They're not just trying to maximize shareholder value. The beauty for this is if you're taking care of all of your stakeholders and you're ignoring your shareholders, they're probably going to be really happy too because they're probably doing really well. 
The last two traits in this quick short course on conscious capitalism are conscious leadership and conscious culture. And so we've talked a lot, especially last week, about the importance of the humans who are running all these enterprises that we're thinking of buying shares in, thinking of investing for at least three years as part owners of these companies. And so it turns out, yeah, the leadership really matters. When it's bad, the fish can rot from the head. When it's good, you've got the lead husky and the view is changing and you've got optionality in a beautiful world that you're driving your business into as all of a sudden intuitive surgical, for example, which starts with one type of surgery that's a better minimally invasive form of surgery than was ever done before for the male prostate gland. But all of a sudden, intuitive surgical starts saying, well, we can do hysterectomies better than most of those doctors too, and a whole bunch of other forms of surgery. And so you see the optionality show up. Well, that's driven again by the leaders. So I'm always looking for the great people. You know, if I could have taken a 10% ownership of anybody in my high school class that I thought was awesome, I would have. Because it's usually those winners who keep on winning, and that's why conscious leadership is so important. And then finally, conscious culture. It's just about you know where are the places that people really love to work, where they feel deeply rewarded. We're spending so much time in our lives in the workplace these days, whether it's virtual or at home. I think we're spending even more time if it's virtual than when we can go to an office. It really becomes our lives even more intimately in some ways. But darn it, you should feel energized by the work that you're doing. You have one life to live. I hope you are making the best of it. So the conscious cultures that that attract the love of their employees, those are so important. So that was a short course in conscious capitalism. Those four tenets, higher purpose, number two, a win for all stakeholders, number three, conscious leadership, so needed in this world, for profit and not for profit. And finally, number four, conscious culture, looking at the workplaces that people love to be remember those four tenets and make that habitual for you as an investor. Make that a lens that you're perching on the end of your nose. Let's go old school here as a pansnay. And that's what you're looking at the world through as you walk around saying, who am I going to invest in and how am I going to become financially free? The answer is it's often by remembering the four tenets of conscious capitalism. And when you put on your pansnay, I'm not going to say it wrong. Pince-nez. There we go. Uh, what is a company that you see? What's a good example of a, of a, consci- of a, a conscious capitalism company? Uh, there are many. Most of my best stocks, I would say, are very conscious uh, and, and hit all four of those boxes. But let's just go with Starbucks. Um, now, Starbucks has its haters. There are always going to be people who think their coffee isn't that good, or it's like Mick Coffee. There's, it's too many places. It's not cool anymore. You know what's pretty cool? Putting your baristas through college. Nobody had to make Howard Schultz or the management team at Starbucks over the years treat their employees that well. And think about that brand and how they had an understanding of a purpose. Starbucks was always trying, still is, trying to be that third place. Your first place, traditionally, is your home. Your second place is your work, even if right now they're kind of the same. Those really are going to be different places in the future, I promise, for a lot of us, if you want that. First place is home, second place is office, but where's the third place? Where do you meet that old friend from high school who's coming through or have a quick meeting uh, for your church group? The answer is, hey, Starbucks for a lot of people. And that's not the only choice, but that would be a great example of a company that exhibits conscious capitalism and a pretty good stock over the years too. All right. And what is our fifth habit? Oh, I shouldn't spoil it because they're going to be looking for that mnemonic. What's our next habit of a rule breaker investor? And, and by the way, the mnemonics are for all of us. And I think it can be really helpful. I kind of self-design it for myself so that I can remember with my failing memory here in my mid-50s. 
I love me some good mnemonics. All right, so habit number five of the Rule Breaker Investor is max 5% allocation. And what I mean by that is I don't believe you as an investor should ever take a new position in a stock or investment of any kind, crypto, real estate, what have you, and ever make it more than 120th of what you have in this world. That would be 5%. My schoolboy math reminds me 5% means it's 120th. I don't think anybody should all of a sudden load up on a new investment that's their only investment or they're putting 30% into this thing because it seems amazing. I much prefer broad diversification. So max 5% allocation. That means as an investor, you should be in the habit of having at least 20 different investments, even as you start. Now, I realize for a lot of us starting, listening to Motley Fool Answers, loving this podcast every week, so many people do. I'm so proud of the work that you both do. They might be thinking, how do I even get to 20? Like, I'm just trying to make my first investment. Well, good news. These days, you can buy fractional shares of things. Commission costs have come down to almost nothing. There are lots of ways to understand how to get started investing, both through this podcast and our website, fool.com. So, you really should be thinking about, what are the 20 things? The 20 companies that I'd like to get started with, max 5% in each. I don't think that you should all of a sudden load up on one thinking, you know, that one's worth a lot. That's going to do a lot better than the others. You might be right, but I think you'd be lucky if you were right. That's not sustainable. So I'm trying with habit number five to get all of us thinking about being broadly diversified. Now, of course, that initial 5% max investment in any given company if it's going to perform like a lot of rule breaker stocks have, is going to balloon to be a much more massive part of your portfolio. That's okay if you can sleep at night, right? It's a wonderful problem to have. It's the problem we're trying to create every day for our members by finding the best stocks of our time. And I'm really happy to say the traits I gave you last week, the habits that we're talking about this week, I really do think this has led and will continue to lead so many people to the best stocks and the best investments of their lives. And so I think it's so important uh, to remember that it's not about one stock, but sure enough, one stock can be amazing if it's Amazon and can start to become a much larger than 5% of your portfolio. Again, a good problem to have. And for each of us, there's no one-size-fits-all answer in terms of how large you should let that grow. We're starting to talk about portfolio management which is not the six habits of the rule breaker investor. That's separate consideration. But I, I do want to underline what you said there, Allison. It is about sleeping at night. So if something is doing so well, it's doing too well, and you're worried about where it's going to open tomorrow morning or what that earnings is going to be like in two months, because if it's not good, that's really going to hurt you, then you're probably overallocated and you should be probably rebalancing. And I know I can see it through Zoom video because that's how we're doing this podcast together, even though our listeners can't see it. And I'm seeing Robert Brokamp vigorously nodding his head. Yes, it is important uh, to sleep at night. I agree with that as well. And so, rebalancing sometimes away from these mega winners is the great calling that a lot of us have when we find these companies and obey these habits. All right, let's bring us home with the final habit of a rule breaker investor. Habit number six, aim for 60% accuracy. Now, a lot of people if they've studied investing, they might have even had a course in college, or maybe they had their social sciences teacher in seventh grade teach them investing. They, they haven't come across this term accuracy. I've borrowed 
as I like to do, I've borrowed a word from one context and pulled it in to this one to make it understandable for people. So let me define my term real quick. You're accurate in my mind when the stock that you bought and held over at least three years is beating the market averages. That was worth doing. To go back to baseball briefly, you got on base. You didn't strike out, ground out, or fly out. You beat the market one for one. If you didn't beat the market, you would be 0 for 1. That would be inaccurate. So when I say aim for 60% accuracy, what I'm saying is aim when you buy and add great companies to your portfolio, aim to try to be beating the market 60% of the time. Now, I say aim because that's not that easy to do. But I believe that getting our kids to aim high when they're kids and as adults, aiming high for our own actions is going to lead to better performance. And so I'm a big fan of aiming high. Otherwise, it's unlikely you're going to hit amazing targets. So in my own career, I'm probably somewhere between 50 and 60% accuracy. That means I'm probably beating the market a little bit more than half the time, but not a lot more. The beauty of this, especially with rule breaker investing, is the ones that do win do so well that on their own, they wipe out all of your losers combined. I can give a quick example from the Rule Breaker scorecard. I did these numbers recently, so they're a little out of date, but anybody can transparently check them because all of our numbers are right there in our services. But I looked and saw that over the course of picking two stocks a month for Motley Fool Rule Breakers every month since October 2004, taking my team selections, my selections as a team, two stocks every two weeks, another stock. For years and years, we've picked around 360 stocks. And here's some horrible news. About one in six of them has not just lost to the market, not just been inaccurate, has lost 50% or more, period. Now, Motley Fool Rule Breakers is taking additional risk. Anybody who joins the Rule Breakers service understands, like venture capitalists, we need to be ready to lose and lose we have. But here's the beautiful number that I want to immediately make sure people hear as well. The 64th best stock, if we've had 64 minus 50 percenters or worse, the 64th best stock at last check was Exact Sciences, ticker symbol EXAS. It was up 475%. Now, some of us are more mathematically inclined than others, but even if math isn't your strong suit, think about that. Our 64th best pick plus 475 Versus, on average, stocks that lose minus 50, you will take a plus 475 with a minus 50 every day of the week. And by the way, our fourth best pick in Motley Fool Rule Breakers is Intuitive Surgical. It is up 5,192%. That stock on its own wipes out all 64 of those minus 50% plusers and leaves money on the table. And that's just our fourth best pick. So it's so important to recognize that lose, you will. So when I say aim for 60% accuracy, that means about half the time you're not beating the market and sometimes you're getting whacked. And especially if you're going to take on additional risk as a rule breaker investor, which many people don't need to and probably won't. But again, you had me on these two weeks, so I'm giving you my chapter and verse. So yes, habit number six, aim for 60% accuracy. And even if you don't hit it as a rule breaker investor, you might be astonished by how successful you are. Well, that covers it. All six habits of a rule breaker investor. David Gardner, thank you so much for joining us these past couple episodes. 
Thank you for suffering a fool gladly. Anytime. Anytime. Hey, let's have a little disclaimer. As always, The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against the stocks we talked about. Don't buy and sell stocks based solely on what you heard here. Oh, that's the show. It's edited fully vaccinatingly by Rick Engdahl. Uh, I'm the only one who's left out. Soon. Soon I'll be joining you. Uh, Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.